Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message is the gospel lesson uh, read earlier. Well, a pastor started a church in Chicago. When a pastor starts a church, it's kind of a family project. The wife helps out, the kids help out. Well, this one particular pastor had a son who was taking piano lessons. And again, since everybody helps out, when evening service came and they needed someone to play the piano for the hymns, they had volunteered the son to do that. And so he was a little bit scared, but he sat down on the piano, and they started singing, and they sang through the first verse, and it went well. And so the dad was really proud and excited, so he said, so now we're going to sing the second verse. Well, the son said, wait, Dad, I only learned the first verse. <laughs> he was terrified. But we can relate, right? How many times in your life have you been frightened, terrified, scared? How often in the scriptures do we hear God say, do not be afraid? Well, today we hear it in the text of our gospel lesson. But what's interesting is our Lord tells us not to be afraid. He doesn't say, don't be afraid because I'm removing everything evil from you. There's going to be no difficulty, no persecution, no problems. That's not what he says. But he does give us reason for not being afraid. So what we're going to do, there's an insert in the bulletin that, that gives you kind of an outline of how we're going to talk about this is we're going to look at the three occasions in which Jesus says do not be afraid in this section. And see how on each occasion Jesus gives us a reason why that, that we are not to be afraid. And this applies to us. You'll notice at the beginning of the text it said that Jesus was speaking this to the disciples as he was sending them out. But as you read through this it becomes very clear that this just didn't apply to the twelve. It applies to you and me. Because our Lord is very clear that, that those who are called to be part of the kingdom are called to share that faith in word and in deed. And so what the disciples were going to face is things that we are going to face. And so these words of our Lord also apply to us. And so we take the first one. Do not fear. You will be vindicated. This is based on verses 26 and 27. So Jesus said, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that is not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered and proclaim on the roof, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So what is hidden? When we hear that word hidden, first of all, my guilty conscience thinks sin, right? Well, everything's going to be made known, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he's talking about what is hidden here is the reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, that God is reigning over all the earth. That's the message that Jesus came to proclaim and the disciples came. And it's, it's fact. Does not God reign over all things? But in a way, it's hidden, is it not? Because not everybody sees it. Not everybody recognizes it. Not everybody acknowledges the fact that God truly reigns. And even as believers, we can lose sight of it. The unbeliever can't see it because you need faith to see the reign of Christ. But even we as believers sometimes forget it or wonder about it. Because the things that we see in our life and in our world don't seem to match what we think should be the reigning of Christ. And so we might begin to question it and wonder that, especially as Jesus speaks about the opposition that is coming forward. But Jesus is making clear that, that we are to make known the kingdom of God. And that's what is to be revealed. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. The disciples were sent out with the message. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is what is to be shouted from the mountaintops. This is what is to be seen in the light. That indeed, the revelation that, that Christ is here and Christ is reigning. Jesus is also reminding us 
there's going to be a day in which all the world will acknowledge this. There's going to be a day when all knees will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when that happens, are not Christians going to be vindicated? When that happens, are not all going to recognize what we've been proclaiming and living for our whole life? But what do we do until then? Until then, we remember that we are part of the kingdom. Children's message was about baptism, because we're going to have one in the second service. And the beauty about having a baptism in worship is a reminder of our own baptism, right? That whenever there's a baptism, we are reminded of our own promises. And that's why it's part of our liturgy today, um, going through the meaning of baptism. That, that we are part of his kingdom that we belong to him, that he's placed his name upon you in your baptism, that you belong to him, you are his. You're part of that kingdom. Rejoice in that kingdom. And also until it is revealed that, that we are to proclaim that kingdom. We are to share with others that, that Christ has come, and we are to share it not only in our words, but also in our deeds. We, we proclaim the, Lord, the kingdom of Christ by our words and by our actions. Again, Jesus did that. The, the precursor to this tells us that Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand and he was healing those who are sick. He sends the disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand and to seal the sick. Like I said last week, you haven't been given the power to heal the sick, but you have been given ability and power to help your neighbor, to love them. And when you do that, you're announcing the kingdom of God. You're showing, you're demonstrating the kingdom of God has come. Because it's coming to you out of faith. And so we don't have to fear we will be vindicated, and we can be comfortable then in that period, in the period of time, remembering that, that we are part of his kingdom and sharing with others the wonders of that kingdom in word and deed. Let's go to the second one, in verse 28, because we are not to fear because they cannot harm the soul. So verse 28, so do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head will all be numbered. So, so the world can harm us, right? But how? How can the world harm us? We have to admit that, that there is harm that the world does against Christians. There's physical harm. There have been martyrs since the beginning. And there are still people being martyred today. Statistics show that over the last century, century and a half, there have been more martyrs than there were previous to all. If you think about the governments that exist around the world, how many countries, and sometimes large countries, is it illegal to be Christian? Under communist rule, under Islamic rule, under other rules of, of authority, Christianity is banned. To, to be a Christian is to put your life at risk. And if not your life, certainly your property and your ability to make money and provide for your family. So the world can harm us physically. And also the world can harm us emotionally. The world mocks us, mocks our faith, impugns our life and our idea of the way that we are to live our life. Are not Christians ridiculed in, in popular culture for the stances they take on issues all around us? Do we not see this in our world today? Are we not also affected by this? And why? What's the goal? The goal is to give to make Christians give up their faith, or at least their teachings, because they're uncomfortable. the world is uncomfortable with the, the message of the gospel and the message of the law that, that comes with it. And if they can't make us give up our faith, their other goal is to let us 
keep quiet about it at least. And that's, this is what I think we see in our culture today, that you can be a Christian and live out your faith, but just live it out in your home, not in your community, not in your culture. There, there is a pushback and a persecution that takes place within this world. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. Jesus makes that very clear as he speaks to the disciples sending them out. If they crucify the master, what do you expect for the students? The resistance to Christ is going to be resistance also to his people. So, so the world can harm us. But who is it that can harm the soul? In the face of opposition, we are to remember and be reminded the world can't touch the soul. Can't touch the promises of God. They are from God. They have no power over them. The only one who has the power over your soul is the Lord. And this is good news, as Jesus makes very clear. This is why you don't have to fear. The one who holds your soul in his hands is the one who loves you with a deep love and a guiding love and a guarding love. His desire is to protect you. And Jesus uses the illustration of the sparrow, right? A sparrow who is basically worthless, doesn't fall to the ground except by the power of God. How much more will God guard and protect you with all that he's done for you. He goes on to say that the Lord knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the number of hairs upon your head. He knows the details of your body in ways that you can't comprehend. He knows the details of your life even better than you. He's the one with the power to, to watch over, to protect, to lead, and to guide. And so we don't have to fear because the Lord has our soul in his hand. And he will not allow anything to touch upon that soul in our salvation. He will guard and protect you. So don't worry about what the world says or what the world does. We have nothing to fear because they cannot touch the promises that God has given. Because the promises of God depend upon him and no one else. And so his promise of life and salvation is yours. You don't have to worry what the world might want to do. The last one is fear not, do not fear you will not be abandoned. Verse 31, Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Will the Lord abandon you? I think that's our chief fear when we're going through difficulty. Are we going to face it alone? And it's a legitimate fear in one sense because we have been abandoned at times. Haven't we? Haven't you at times felt alone? Haven't you gone through struggles and thought there would be friends or family members with you to support you in a certain way and they're simply not there for one reason or another? You see, when we're going through a difficult time, sometimes people don't know what to do. They don't know how to help. They don't know what to say. And often they pull back. And it feels very lonely when that happens to us. When that happens to us, we are sometimes hurt. But please know, the Lord will never abandon you. That's his promise to you. That's what he says to you today, that he will not leave you nor abandon you. He is never at a loss of what to do or what to say, that he will provide that which you need. And if you have any questions about that, look at what the Lord has already done for you. If you want to know how much the Lord really values you, look at the cross. What did he do for you? He gave up his life for you. We often use that verse that he, he, he died for the whole world. But, but do you think he had a globe in mind when he's on the cross? Or do you think he had Peter, James, and John? And you and me in mind goes the cross. He had the people he was dying for. 
on his mind and on his heart. He demonstrates that when he prays before he goes to the cross. Uh, how often are, are his prayers leading up to the cross about those who love him and those who follow him? Those are the ones that was on our heart. You are on, were on his heart. He gave up his life so that you would be forgiven. He rose from the dead so that you would have life and salvation. That's how valuable you are. And then even thinking about it in a personal way. What has the Lord done for you in your life to bring you here today? How many people has God placed in your life that made it so that you are here today? What has he brought you through? What has he given to you? What has he done for you? How has he helped you? so that you can be part of his kingdom. Again, that's how valuable you are. And if he's gone through all of that, will he ever leave you or abandon you? No, he will always be there. He will always guard and protect you. You do not have to fear because you will not be abandoned. You belong to him. I mentioned at the beginning the pastor's son who was absolutely terrified to sing the second verse. But obviously he didn't have to be terrified, right? Because the second verse is same as the first verse from the piano. He had no reason to be afraid. If you think about it, we have no reason to be afraid. But we need to be reminded of that. Isn't that the joy of gathering together, to be reminded that there's no reason to fear, that, that one day we will be vindicated, that, that our Lord loves us and will provide for us in, in all that we need. We, we don't have to be, uh, we do not have to fear that that the Lord has our soul and guards and protects it. We don't have to fear. We will not be abandoned. The Lord will do all of this for us because of his great love for us. And because of that, we can be bold. We don't have to be, fear, be fearful. We can boldly live out our life and our faith. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all human understanding guide our hearts and minds to true faith, life everlasting. Amen.